0: This is Pain Reframed.
1: Well, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Pain Reframed. So thrilled to be here with my good friend and colleague, Tim Flynn, as well as having Lisa Holland join us again. If you didn't catch Lisa's first episode, please go back. You might know Lisa as the belly guru. She's all over social media. She's got numerous different areas where she's engaging, but she brings a really unique, blended philosophy to her treatment and to her coaching. And the first episode really dug in to a number of areas, but then we only had time to touch on this idea of patient's behavioral characteristics and how you identify them and how you change your clinical behavior to suit that patient and truly meet them where they are. It's a buzz term in our profession, but I think we struggle on the actionables there. So I think everyone here listening is really going to pull a lot from Lisa's experience in turning that from an idea into action. So without further ado, let's jump in and have another great chat with Lisa Holland.
2: Thanks so much, guys. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to talking a little bit deeper into these psychometrics side of knowing our patient and or customer or client or however you want to speak about them.
1: Love it. Yeah, absolutely. And last time we talked about sort of touching into really getting an idea of the patient's behavioral characteristics. You know, we always talk about biopsychosocial and motivational interviewing, yet we really struggle, I think, to change the way that we interact based upon where the patient's coming from. So if you could maybe open up and talk a bit about how you've developed a way to get an understanding of some of those key characteristics of your patient and then alter the way that you engage in light of that.
2: Yes, thank you for that. I really got into wanting to know more about the biopsychosocial model. Actually, I I also approach it from a spiritual perspective as well, because I think that sense of self, if we take it out of the dogma, is very important in terms of self-efficacy, self-value, self-worth, when we're especially working with a pain population or or chronic dysfunction. And so what I did is I went out and kind of searched, how could I take some of the principles, bulls, from the idea at ayurveda or chinese medicine and some of the eastern medicines i was i was studying and already working with and bring it into a conversation in the western model and so i found some psychometrics that were being used for hiring purposes and would be able to not only tell behavioral styles but also seven core drivers and then underneath that an area called axiology which values or evaluates the person's self-view and worldview and so I really get their emotional intelligence as well and I think that between all of those things what I'm really getting is a way to communicate to them and that if we understand what You know, most of our job or what I feel like is I'm a facilitator of the process of healing. If we could understand that the difference or the gap or the bridge between process and thought is actually, you know, this communication here, you know, speaking to the person with their expectations, then I thought that would be highly advantageous, especially in the chronic pain population. So, you know, I got certified in doing these psychometrics and then what I did was basically bring it in to the idea of how could we be, instead of working on a sports team, being part of a sports team and improving our performance or being part of a corporate team and improving our performance, how could I make this part of the therapeutic alliance and improve you know, the person's performance?
0: Yeah, sorry to interrupt. I think Lisa, yeah, I'd like to unpack that just a bit more in that you mentioned a couple terms. I think it's easier if we put it in a perspective of how we as providers have to mirror what that patient is at least initially we have to be almost agnostic whether you know if they're coming from a spiritual bend or if they're coming from an engineering mind someone what's coming from a very black and white view of perhaps how the body works could you unpack that how that might look different you know someone that's coming in and their belief system may be very strong and it what you may be coaching does that challenge their belief system, or does it follow along? And just how you go about that.
2: Thank you. Yes, that's what we need to do. That's our responsibility leveling up now. with You know, all our science kind of says, you know, what the physiology is, what's going on with the physiology, but we're not really taught much about the psychology, and not necessarily to diagnose anybody, but we have the strategy, right? But then we don't necessarily know the emotional brain. We're not hitting the emotions and yet most people, their buy of anything or their ability to unpack anything we're saying is going to be filtered through their emotions. I mean, that's just how human beings work and what they're bringing into it. So that may look like me figuring out, well, now that I've studied this, I can kind of figure it out without the assessment tool. But if I'm looking at somebody who's very strong in, let's say guiding principles. And therefore, maybe they have like a really high spirituality or some sort of, you know, the rules in terms of the bigger picture. I need to meet that. I'm not going to challenge that in any way because I'm not going to change their personality. And I'm going to actually be much better with them being compliant or them telling me how they need to approach this situation and what their goals are. If I meet them where they are, if, if another person is really high in leadership or peace and harmony is a good one, right? I get that a lot in women's health. You know, they just want everybody to be happy and everything to be peaceful. And they don't even know if they should even be there because it's disrupting the family and, you know, whatever. I got to figure out how do I, how do I set up this game plan where they're actually achieving peace and harmony in their household by doing this plan? You know, how, how can I present it where they actually realize this is not being against that peace and harmony, even though that's difficult, this is actually making you, you know, not feel so depressed or not be able to not do things with the kids or having them have to, you know, stop whatever early because you have such pain and fatigue. And in that perspective, they might be like, oh yeah. Whereas if I was saying, you know, you're just going to have to be here twice a week and get the babysitter. And this is what you got to do because you got to take care of yourself. That would not work very well for a person whose mindset is in helping others and peace and harmony.
0: That is a great example, Lisa. So again, it's understanding their value system and then framing your or strategies, hopefully pulling out strategies that they're able to think about that fits that. Yeah. Do you have another example of that? It's really helpful.
2: Yeah. I think where we see this a lot and, uh, we have to really think about this is on my beta group, I had a gentleman, a physical therapist from down here at one of the colleges and they had a teaching a teaching pain clinic. So this was fully granted, you know, they had no issue about, oh, you know, how this is gonna get paid and it's in a very low socioeconomic, low self-efficacy type of environment where these are the people, you know, they come in and they have this type of profile. And so we may come in with our Western mind as we're taught right now in Western medicine and be like, okay, so socio, you know, determinants of health, oh yeah, this is gonna be this and this and this and this. My thought is, you know, maybe the issue might just be the fact that they're not being compliant, not necessarily because they don't have access, because all these people have access now. It's not a money situation. It's not a, you know, access where they can't get there. They have this whole thing set up in the town that they get there. But they're still seeing these people, you know, drop off or not come or not be as compliant with their stuff. And so in that example, you know, Maybe if we were thinking a little bit more about it not necessarily being the socioeconomics or education background or something like that, maybe it's the whole person who's coming in there and their sense of self efficacy to begin with, which and modeling or even thinking, is this something that they can have? And maybe their personality style is to be in charge because of you know past traumas and things like that or they really have a very strong leadership motivating factor that's not been nurtured because they've been in those situations, if you could tap into that, I bet you it would overcome their bank account issue or their cultural issue or whatnot, because now you're giving them something that a really good teacher could in school. You know, we see these kids blossom all the time when the teacher speaks to them from a place that they're missing in terms of their self-efficacy and their self-worth and their self-value. And I think understanding somebody at their core and speaking to them in a way that lets them know you hear them, maybe for the first time, because they go through the system, unfortunately, with a very biased point of view to them. As much as we try to be unbiased, we know it's inherent in the system by you know, women of color having a four times more chance than, you know, white women of having very disastrous maternal health outcomes or not being listened to for pain. I mean, we, we know it's in there. So that's another example where if we knew that person's personality style and we knew that person's core motivators and even deeper, the sense of that piece of axiology I was speaking of in terms of their view of themselves in the big picture. And that is very helpful, their attitudes towards personal growth their attitude towards interpersonal harmony. I mean, if we see somebody that's, you know, undervalues or overvalues that, which are these objectives I can get, I can have a very successful conversation if I learn how to be a good communicator.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Lisa, I love that. You know, as we begin to truly zoom out and incorporate some of these Other dimensions. I think one thing a lot of the practitioners listening to the show today are probably wondering because we have a tendency to always go down this route is, well, hold on a second. You know, we're not psychologists. I think we always find a reason not to engage in these different spaces. You know, we're not nutritionists, so we shouldn't talk about nutrition. We're not sleep physicians, so we shouldn't talk about sleep hygiene. I think sometimes we stop ourselves unnecessarily. And I guess I would ask you, you know, do you think that physios and family practice physicians, you know, do we have enough education to be in this? space? You know, what do we need to be confident doing that? I would love to hear your thoughts. And then Tim, I'd love to hear your thoughts um, after Lisa, you know, are we holding ourselves back by not engaging in these areas because we don't think we're quote unquote qualified and should we be encouraging folks to be doing more?
2: Great question, Jeff. And I would say, here's the problem. No health providers, I don't care how high up the hierarchy you are, are very qualified for communication right now. That's not something that we get taught. We don't have very good communication skills. We have very good treatment skills. We have very good evaluation, functional, you know, data points. We know how to put those babies into that photo and we just get that pop-out that statistic. The problem is we have not been taught to engage in interpersonal communication, and it's only worse now with tech kind of eliminating that, you know, 80% of, of communication is nonverbal. We don't really look at the person, I mean, we, we have great potential as physical therapists. I think physical therapists could really grab on this. And I would hate for them to think what I'm talking about is psychiatry or psychology or some sort of diagnostic when what I'm talking about is interpersonal communication, which is what every human being should be taught and have skills in, especially as an adult and especially as an adult in healthcare. It's, it's the problem of the system that you haven't been taught this, but it's nothing to do with you. I'm not diagnosing anybody. I'm not. I'm basically, first of all, I have a metric to back me up. And when you learn that metric, you get very good in communication skills. So maybe what we need to do is have some more communication skills across the board. And you should want to learn that because, guys, this is a business. And I don't care if you own the business or if you're working for a business, but you're in the business of selling pain. And it's not selling pain relief. That would be the pharmaceuticals. We're in the business of selling pain to the fact that you're going to be uncomfortable. I mean, you got to sell them on that. You're going to be uncomfortable. There's going to be some change. And if I can't talk to you like another human being, if I can't read what between the lines, that's a society problem.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great question, Jeff. And I couldn't agree more, at least on this idea. You had a great point. When did become outside our scope of practice to be human, to sit right? across the table Across the chair from somebody that has a family, struggled, lost a spouse, you know, has had horrible things happen, which is happens to everyone in life. And we can't just sit across and be human and ask questions and try to understand what motivates that person. And if that is not in the scope of our practice, when we're in the business, as you said, of selling pain and selling movement and selling you are in charge, I mean, we're doomed to failure. I think that we've segmented so much of the business of quote-unquote healthcare, which it's not. I mean, it's medical care. We've As if it's someone else's job. It's all of our jobs to be excellent communicators, to be super active listeners, to try to understand the people that we're fortunate enough to work with. So thanks for sharing that. Jeff, what's your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I'm in those same lines. Tim, I love your thought about you know, when were we not allowed to be human? Because I mean, these dimensions are so core to why the person's suffering and what brought us to the scenario that we're in 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 meeting one another. And I think Lisa, your point was great about if we can't have these pieces, we can't sell what we do. We can't have effective communication, but it does seem like we have been almost conditioned as a profession to stay in our box. It's almost why I think the Western model is so appealing to us because it kind of has boundaries where it's like, we're doing this thing. You know, and we don't have to look beyond that and worry about scopes of practice and stepping on other people's toes. And I think as a profession, we're overly kind in that area, but maybe that kindness isn't best serving the patient. And maybe that's the kindness we should be most concerned about.
2: Yes. And I think that actually is where we came out of. I mean, if you look back in our history as physical therapists, I know there's people and physicians and nurses and other people that listen to this pain podcast, but just speaking from a personal experience, we're very myopic in physical therapy more than any other profession. And I have several of them. I have my feet in and I don't know why that is (laughs) because we work so collaboratively with our customer, our client once we get them. So I'm not quite sure why we're like that. It's almost like we're scared of everybody in the system. I really don't know because, like I said, most of the time when you're sitting there with your patient or whatever, it is this, you know, you get this reading, you know, whatever, a couple sessions in. I'm just saying, wouldn't it be great if you could get it even before they walked in the door because they took one of these assessments, or you could ask certain questions once you were, you know, more proficient in communication, ask better questions. I mean, it's the same conversation as like when we're we're in sales, honestly. It's ask better questions to get better answers. And it's asking them to think and not just be like robotic and just show up and be passive in their care. And I think that's a big thing too. Depending on where you work, you may not be someplace you can do this. And it's like with anything else. Sometimes you go to these courses and this and that, and you're like, that's great, but not in my system on at the time. And that is part of the problem. Like, I mean, we could hoodoo voodoo and give symptom relief all we want, but I think we're at a point in our profession where, gosh, we have a big potential to really step up right now and have a skill set that, I mean, quite honestly, the skill set that's needed now in collaboration with the science, the people who step up in that right now, and honestly, it looks like it's being the health coaches who maybe have a you know, yoga therapists or somebody who are also health coaches. We have a big opportunity to use that ability to see the body as a whole. Like, are we able to now? Will PTs or just anybody across the healthcare spectrum, will you be courageous enough? Do you have enough science now to actually give a human systems model of care? Do you have enough confidence and conviction now? Do you have enough research to actually understand what the Chinese medicine people were doing? What the Ayurvedic people were doing? What the interventional people that were maybe looking at things as a whole and talking about, like, do we have enough now that we can allow ourselves to talk like them?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, if you think about a biopsychosocial model that's been with us now for decades and we're still struggling to talk about the psych and social elements of healthcare, the two thirds of what is bringing people in to any clinic. And even though it's the science is overwhelming, that's the way we should be approaching it, you stumble across those providers in healthcare. It's by accident that you run into one of those providers that truly embodies the biopsychosocial model and truly embodies active listening and skills that are really about the human in front of us. And I mean, we could go on about all the reasons and how the digitalization of healthcare records and stuff and the like has accelerated that move away from humanistic approaches. But it, we are where we're at. You know, I really appreciate this conversation, Lisa. And as, you know, as we come to a close and on this, if you had to give us one, you know, especially think about that first-year uh, healthcare provider out there, PA, PT, physician, mm-hmm. and a patient comes in with a complex 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 chronic condition. And this is their first encounter, but they have 40 minutes. What scale or what, if you had to leave us with one or two questions succinctly, what would those be that you could have those put to work
2: this week? I would try to really figure out where they soar themselves. As simple as one of these questions, which I don't think a lot of people ask. So If you were to do this program, where do you see yourself in four weeks? You know, something as simple as that. Like, I don't think enough people like ask them that because that can give you so much information. First of all, it'll tell you right now how fast the pace they think this is going to be. Like, it'll let you know their perception of what's going to be involved in this it'll also tell you if they even can have that view because one of the things if you look at bandura's work with self-efficacy in order to be high have high self-efficacy you need to be able to vicariously live what that beyond condition is you know like you need to see yourself with your leg working well again and with your life coming together and if you think about that with the chronic pain population especially they get stuck sometimes in these loops where like they really think this is how it's going to be forever because either they heard that, you know, their bone is on bone or, you know, whatever, you know, they have these like preconceived notions, what this means for the rest of their lives. And unfortunately that's been pumped into it and is still being pumped into continuously around you and your therapies. And as much as you're trying to get to that person, but their emotional attitude towards achieving is very important. So if you can ask a couple of questions, You know, maybe even see how people oriented they are, how task oriented they are, get an idea because your approach, you know, if they're more people oriented, let's make this more of a fun tag team kind of thing where, you know, hey, text me mid month and, you know, I mean, mid week and check in or something like that. If they're very task oriented, you better give them that list with, you know, five things to check off day one.
1: Yeah, I love it. I love it. I think it really comes down to being willing to think and change your behavior in real time relative to what you're seeing out of that patient's behaviors and characteristics. And, and that can be a challenge because we kind of get a way of doing things that gets comfortable and we don't make those adjustments to meet that person to maximize their chance of success. Well, Lisa, thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on twice. I know that's asking a lot out of your schedule, but everybody loved the first episode, so we want to dive a bit deeper. Do you mind, Lisa, as we say goodbye, can you one more time just kind of leave your calling card as far as where folks can find you, engage with your content and track everything you're doing.
2: Yes. Thank you so much for having me on. And thank you for, you know, just opening up these conversations. Cause I know you have a big audience and there's lots of different ears there. If you want to get in touch with me about training in any of this or, or any of the support, on a professional level, you can contact me at www.drlisahollandpt.com or just reach out to info at drlisahollandpt.com. And I can speak to you in terms of any uh, learning all of this. Because really what it is, is we've got to get that good that we could or implement some of these things and these objectives into our evaluation so that we have this information. I mean, the same way as you give a medical history, right? Like you have their medical history. This just might have to be part of their medical history.
1: Beautiful. I love that, Lisa. Well, thank you again so much. It's greatly appreciated.
2: Thank you, guys.
0: Well, another great addition of Pain Reframed. I think Lisa has provided us with some actionable items when it gets to really where the rubber meets the road. When we're initially meeting with the patients and clients that we work with and we're having To try to extract a whole lot in a short period of time. But I mean, Lisa dropped some bombshells, particularly just when you ask the patient, just by asking him that question of, you know, if things go well, where do you see yourself in four weeks? and trying to get a sense of how that patient is really, what their belief is in the power of restoration and where they're coming from at this moment in time. So just some great insights. And I hope each of you picked up some of those points today. And if you don't, well, let's just keep talking about it on the Pain Reframe Facebook page or on Twitter. You can find Jeff or I or any of the other outlets out there. Please be sure to tune into ispinstitute.com. For sure, you want to look there and look at the upcoming courses that are out there. And for those that are going to Manipaloosa down in Dallas, Texas in November, where Adrian Lowe and colleagues will be talking about a variety of different aspects regarding pain. So teach each and every one of you, thanks for supporting this venture into trying to learn about how we can be of some use. Have a most wonderful day.
1: Pain Reframed is brought to you by our sponsor, the International Spine and Pain
0: Institute. Check out their transformative pain science programming at ispinstitute.com.